Lord Jesus, we want to thank you today because there was a day when we were really far away from you. There was a time where we wanted nothing to do with you. Jesus, I remember a day in my life when your name was just but a curse word. But I want to thank you for being patient with me. And I'm sure across this gathering, your people really do want to thank you for being patient with them. Your love just kept on coming after us. Your love, not the pointing of a finger or an angry shout, but it was your love that won our hearts. It was your love that set us free. It wasn't religion. It was love. And Jesus, today as your people again, we just truly, from the bottom of our hearts, want to say thank you. We just, again, love to take moments like this at the start of a new week to say, Jesus, thank you for getting us through. Thank you for never letting us go and always being there when we are faithless and we are faithless many times. Let's be honest, church. Let's be honest. When we are faithless, the Bible says that Jesus is faithful. Why don't we give him a big round of applause, a shout. He never gives up on us. He never throws in the towel. It's never over. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. And one day we will join with the angels for all eternity to applaud you and praise you and thank you forevermore. Jesus, we love you. We love you and we do appreciate you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Why don't we just show our appreciation for our musicians as well? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we are having a great, great morning, aren't we? This morning. Who's staying for dinner? Yes. Now, I don't want you to get your mind and your thinking on that lovely chili that you're going to be smelling halfway through my message, you little tinkers, right? Avoid temptation, resist that thought. But listen, for the, for the remaining time that we have this morning, I want to talk to you about a very simple picture, okay? A very simple picture that the Bible gives us about God's Word, about God's promises, about the great plans that He has for our lives. Aren't you glad that God paints pictures that gives us understanding? He speaks to us and communicates to us on a level that is understandable and tangible and relatable to our everyday life and the experiences that we go through. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a picture, an object that you and I use every day 
that we've been using every day, in fact, for years, an object that you would have used this morning that God takes up and likens to his word so that we might understand its relationship with our everyday life. God understands the power of pictures. He understands our need for pictures. You know, the the old saying goes, doesn't it? A picture can paint a thousand words. A picture can paint a thousand words. And instead of getting all technical and intellectual, God puts before his people and the world at large a simple pictures, in fact, many pictures through the Bible so that we can understand and that he can bridge the gulf between us and him, so he can reach into our hearts and help us. So we're going to use a picture in a moment. We're going to take up a picture, an everyday object that all of us have been using for years to see the power of God's word as it relates to our circumstance, as it relates to our past, as it relates to our present, and even as it relates to our future. Now, as we begin to introduce this this morning, Let me just go through some pictures in the Bible that people have used, that God has inspired men to use in relation to his word so that we might understand how it applies to to our lives. Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament, when likening God's word and God's promise to us in a picture, in picture form, said this about the promises and God's word. He said, God's word is like a mighty hammer. Jeremiah takes up a picture of a hammer to illustrate that God's promises can break apart every oppressive hindrance that would come against your life. God doesn't go into detail how he does that. He just sets forth a simple picture when we're oppressed, when we're going through hardship, when there's circumstances besetting us, when there's issues and troubles that we face and we will face in life, God says, take hold of my word, take hold of my promises. It can be like a mighty hammer to deliver you and to break through and to give you freedom in the areas that you might need. On another occasion, King David, the psalmist, the man that wrote The majority of our Psalms used a picture, took up a picture in relation to the promises of God's word. He said, your word, Lord, is like a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. What was David doing? He was describing God's word, God's promise in picture form for our lives, for our everyday lives, so that we might understand its relevance so that we might understand how needful it is to be at the center place of our lives. David spoke those words thousands of years ago. But oh, how relevant they are to life and living. Why? Because every single one of us will have moments of darkness. Every single one of us at times in our lives will be engulfed in darkness that that seems so chaotic and difficult, it's right there, right then, in those moments of darkness, 
that God, God's word wants to come to us. It'll give you light for your marriage if it's going through a testing time. It will, give, it will be a lamp through those difficulties and through those trials. It will shed light way on down the corridor of time. For me, this gives me hope. For me, this gives me security. And every single one of us are well aware in this room that sometimes life probes us, sometimes life tries to extract questions and answers that we cannot give. It's in those moments of confusion and difficulty that God's Word comes. It will be. You might say, well, Dave, you don't know me. I'm not good enough. Hey, listen, none of us are. None of us are good enough to measure up to the standard. But God's love, God loves us so unconditionally. He does not want us ever to go through a confusing time where our lives are engulfed in darkness. Our, crea our creator reaches out towards us and says, listen, if you will rely on my word, it will be like a light down your path and it will be a light, a lamp to every step you take. David paints a picture paints a picture before us to show us the relevance and the power of God's Word. Moses pictured God's Word like bread. Now, not physical bread, but spiritual food that our hungry soul needs sustenance from, and strength. There's nothing like the Word of God. You see, very often we've got an idea that the Bible is just a rule book. Do this, do, don't do that. Oh, if we could see beyond that. And you know, many of us have been bludgeoned and hit from left to right by religion. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. When God's not about a, a religion, he's about relationship. When you look at the imagery in the Bible, it's always in relation to father and son. And, and, and father and daughter and, and relationship and inclusion, not distance. No, God's word... God's Word's a beautiful thing, just like bread, just like manna. The Welsh rugby fans sing it, don't they? Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. You got it? You got it? You see? Do you know what? I'm better conducting, aren't I? Than singing, I'm better conducting. But you see, what were they singing about? They were singing about a reality, a reality of God's word. You trace the history of that hymn, you trace the history of that song that we sing in the Millennium Stadium and stadiums like it. Its history is rooted in this statement that Moses makes about God's word being bread. It's not a rule book. It will, it, it will be bread and strength to your very soul. And it will give you sustenance not to be religious on a Sunday morning. It will give you excellence in life and living. And it will make, make you successful in what you do. 
The writer to the book of Hebrews used another picture about God's Word. He said it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can divide our thoughts. It can judge the intents and the, and the motives of our heart. We always thought that, you know, we're reading the Bible. No, the Bible's reading us. It reads your intents, it reads your thoughts, it, it, it acts as a judge, it, it shows you what's right or wrong. And it's sharper than a sword. And it can, it can unveil your motives and the very aspirations of your heart, whether they're in line with it or whether they're out of sync with it. That's not a bad thing, it's a wonderful thing. Just imagine if a ship set sail and had no course coordinates. Or you, you know, you, you, you jumped on a plane to get to a destination that you'd planned to go at. And over the tannoy, the pilot said, well, not sure where we're going today, folks. We may just end up anywhere. Who knows? I ain't got any coordinates, but off we go. We're going down the runway. You think, my God, I want to get off this plane. No, you need course coordinates for your life. You need direction. And it comes as a sword to keep us in line, to help us, to guide us, to show us what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's the best and the ultimate, to aim towards what's the prize and what's not the prize. It's wonderful. Jesus. Jesus. Pictured God's word like a seed. He says it's so small. It seems so insignificant that many devalue it. Many disregard it. But oh, planted in the good soil of our heart. You watch what happens when you receive God's word just like a seed. And once it gets integrated into the soil and the fabric of your life and you apply it, you watch the abundance, you watch the growth and the harvest that comes as a result of it. He also pictured God's Word. You see, God's Word presents pictures to us for us to understand. He presented God's Word in a picture when He said, it's an unshakable foundation to build your life on. Now, you can f build your life on unstable sand like many do, but hey, why don't you build your life, found your life on something that's immovable, unshakable, and unbreakable? He said it's a foundation, a sure, tested foundation. Pictures are in God's Word in order to help us understand the relevance and the power of the promises that he's spoken to us. James and John, uh, sorry, James and, and the Apostle Paul pictured God's Word as a mirror. Imagine that. The God of the heavens... The God who spoke the universe into being. The God creator who created our world and everything in it. Engineered it in its brilliance. Keeps it in its order 
and the planets in their orbit likens his word to an everyday object that we use on a continual basis that we no doubtedly used this morning before we came to church. Maybe 99% of us used it. He likens his word to a mirror, to a mirror, an everyday object that we will doubtless use today, tomorrow, and every day, possibly for the rest of our lives. Let me read to you from James chapter 1, verse 22 through to verse 25, just three verses. And here we, James is talking about God's Word being a mirror to reflect His goodness, to reflect His promises, to reflect His plans towards us so that our lives may be enriched and fulfilled and come into everything that God has for us. James says this, and he kind of starts with a warning. He said, but, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully, another word for that, if you look intently and consistently and make it your daily pursuit and habit of life, if you look carefully into, listen, the perfect law that sets you free and if you do what it says and don't forget what you have heard then God will bless you for doing it what a guarantee what a guarantee an offer a promise a guarantee is made God sets the mirror of his word before every one of us. There it is. You can buy it from W.H. Smith's. This is a Gideon edition. We support the Gideons. They do an amazing work. You find them in hotels. The gauntlet down. He says, my word is like a mirror to you to receive a correct reflection about your life, your future, your past. It's all in here if you will take it up and if you will consistently look at it and rely on it and hear its message to you. The mirror has a message. The mirror communicates a message to you and I. And as God is angry, it's not one that God is distant. It's not one that God is removed. It's, got, it's not one that God wants to be separate from your life. It's one that is intimate. The message of the mirror is that God loves us. I've said it repeatedly through this service this morning. The message of the mirror is that God loves us. He says, if you will, if you will listen, if you will hear it, and you'll go ahead and do what it says, you try it. You go ahead and do what it says. The blessing of God will come upon your life 
and it will overtake you. It'll be in your home. It'll be in your house. It'll be out in the field. Deuteronomy 28 says, wherever you put your foot, wherever you, wherever you are, God's blessing upon you to such a degree that it will overtake you. Those promises are to the men and women of God who are willing not just to have a casual glance, but who consistently look mirror that God presents before every one of us. It's, it's so wonderful. It's so amazing. God is so good. This mirror brings correction. Now, the difficulty is about correction is that none of us like it. Oh, it's hard. I've been corrected. I mean, I could keep you here all day. I've been corrected sometimes by God, sometimes by circumstance, sometimes by people. And it's hard to be corrected. But like I said, sometimes these, these corrections are just simply sent by God to help us keep our course coordinates in life. And if I look back on all of the times that I've been corrected, and there has been many, I look back, and you know, honestly, I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I didn't like it at the time. I grumbled, I complained. I jumped up and down and spat in anger. Pulled my hair out. That's why I've got a very wide center part in. But I'm saving up for a hair transplant. Come on. I, I want locks down here, I do. Faye, I want hair. Faye, stand up. I want hair as long as my wife. I do. I'm jealous of it. I'd love one of them French plaits, Dave. Where's Dave? I would. I'd love a French plait. Anyway, I digress. You know, when you look back, correction isn't pleasant at, at, at the time of, you know, being confronted. Of course it isn't. But, you know, if you can see a God that loves us, you know, we've dedicated little, little AJ this morning, little Aaron Joshua. What a joyous, what a joyous occasion. Before, we, we dedicated little Nathan. We have four children. Andrea and Vern, there's going to be times in, in little AJ's future where it's going to be gentle correction. Why? Because they want him to grow up, be successful, and be everything that Jesus has planned him to be, whatever that might be. But love is an extension of correction. The Bible says that God loves us, and therefore, he disciplines us. But this, this mirror corrects us, you see. This mirror brings adjustment and guidance. It shows us very truthfully and very honestly sometimes where we are and what we need and the changes that need to be made. Mirrors, we use them every day. We look into them. Ladies, you put your makeup on this morning. And some of you may have used a trowel. Only joking. 
No, some of you may use a bucket and spade. Who knows, man? Hey, listen, men, don't laugh, right? Because you may have looked in the mirror and you may have seen a long nasal hair or some hair, hair from your ear. Do you know what? I've had both. I've, had, I still, I've got them now, right? Nasal hair, ear hair. I mean, what's the big deal about it? <laughs> Faye comes to me, right, every now and again, and she's got this long thing, and it goes on, it vibrates, and it's got blades on the end of it. She sticks it up. Well, she pins me down, sticks it up my nose, and it's awful. And then in my ear, and do you know what? She's done my eyebrows as well. Not that my eyebrows need doing. Look at them. They're lovely. I, she, she always shaves this bit in the middle, right? And for me, I'm happy to just have one long eyebrow across the top of my head. As far as I'm concerned, what's it? It's a brow. But no, we've got to have a parting, a center parting in line with, you know, the sunroof. But you know, like, it's the mirror that unveils all these things, isn't it? Have you looked in the mirror? Yes, I've looked in the mirror. Come here, you little tinker. It's like a cattle prod. But she loves it. And, and I'm learning, learning to gracefully accept it. But I haven't had it for a couple of weeks. Do you know, listen, I'm from Ebervale. I'm a Valleys boy. What we do, and I know this might be a little bit uncouth, but seeing as we're on the subject, let's go there. I just pull them like that. Wham! And just rip them out. I mean, that's what they do in Ebervale. That's what my grandfather used to do, my father used to do. And hey, it worked for them. I do it as well. That's <laughs> it. It's good, isn't it? But whatever way, whether we have a trim or, you know, we just, whatever the deal is. But the mirror, you see, let's get back on it for a minute now. The mirror, the mirror is the means that we can address issues in our lives, okay? Do you know, I remember looking in the mirror and um, I saw a little red blemish on my cheekbone on the right side of my face. And uh, initially, it didn't concern me, a little red blemish. I mean, there's nothing to worry about. Week after week, month after month, this little red blemish would be there. Didn't cause me any concern. But then one day, whatever this was at that time, it started to break through the surface of the skin. And then I started to notice it. And I started to get a little bit concerned. And I started to think, well, this isn't normal. What was happening? The, mess, the mirror was presenting a message to me that I could either ignore or address. And this thing just started to get a little bit aggressive and break through. And then it just started to, to get, well, it just started to bleed. So I thought, man, I've got to go to the doctor's. Many years ago. So anyway, I turned up at the doctor's surgery, not thinking anything of this thing, but I thought, oh, do you know what? I need to get it checked out, and I need to get the doctor to give me a di diagnosis about this, this thing that's kind of breaking through the surface of my skin. He looked at it. You know, he puts his little, his little magnifying glass on it, makes a couple of notes, and then just, just takes a sample of the skin around it. He said, I'm going to send that off. He said, but I think that this is what they call a rodent ulcer. 
He said, you have a rodent ulcer. And he said, it's a form of skin cancer. Well, I, I started to get a little bit worried. And he said, look, it's not life-threatening, but it's very aggressive. He said, it's a good job that you've come to me and, and showed me this because now I'm going to put your name on a waiting list and this area can be operated on and surgically removed. I'm thinking, my God, surgically removed. I thought it was only a little spot. But it was quite aggressive. And as he began to explain it, I thought, okay. Well, I've always kind of wanted plastic surgery. <laughs> so the time was set. I went down to the hospital in Swansea, and they surgically removed that rodent ulcer and cauterized the wound. I came back. I, th I think actually it was an improvement. So anyway, chatting to my father, and again, it was years ago, he said, oh, Dave, he said, it's a good job that you went to the doctor. He said, it's a good job that actually you got that surgically removed. He said, because I knew a man, a friend of his, him and my mum knew a man, a friend of them, friend of theirs, that had the same issue. Started with a red blemish that he saw in the mirror. Then it broke through the surface of the skin. He went to the doctor for a diagnosis and the doctor said, it's a rodent ulcer. We need to operate on it. We need to take it out because it's very aggressive. The man ignored it. He ignored the advice of the doctor. He, he refused to listen to the message of the mirror every day as he looked into it. And you know what? Over time, that rodent ulcer took over the half right side of that man's face, face until it was inoperable. They could not do anything. And sadly, he died with that awful condition. And you know, when I was thinking about this, this word from the book of James, these verses that we've read and this picture that God's word presents, I thought about what happened to me many years ago and how important it was to listen to the message that came from the mirror and the diagnosis that the doctor gave in order to operate on my skin so that that could be removed. And it's like that with issues in our lives sometimes. We may be worried. We may be fretful. We may be fearful about the future. Oh, this mirror has lots to say about worry. This mirror has lots to say about fear. This mirror has lots to say about rejection and pain. Why? Because God knows that we all go through it. But when we look into this mirror with our, with our fear, with our pain, with our depression, and sometimes with our hopelessness, what's reflected back is not fear. What's reflected back to you is hope. What's reflected back to you when you look in with your, with your downcast spirit is not rejection, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me give you some reflections from this mirror because whilst it's corrective and confrontive, 
It's also a glorious mirror that gives you wonderful hope. It's also a transforming mirror that takes you on to greater places and greater heights in life with God. When we're sad, when we're fearful, when we have no hope in life because circumstances are pressing around us, let me just give you one reflective message that comes to all of us from this glorious mirror as we look into it. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says this, Fear not, you're afraid today. You're fearful today? Are you worried today? Let's look in the mirror. Why did God say, fear not? Well, because usually we're full of fear and insecurity and uncertainty and wondering about the future. So God, through his word, graciously says, fear not. Look in with your fear, child of God. Don't be condemned. Look in with your troubled heart, child of God. Come before the mirror of God's word today with all of your uncertainty and see it reflect back to you a message of hope that is clear, not confusing. Fear not, my child. Fear not. For I am with you. We can lose our fears not because we have to muster up some kind of self-strength and put on a false show and a false smile. No, we can fear not because God is with us, because he loves us. Be not dismayed or depressed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. That's the reflection that comes to you if you're fearful. God doesn't say, oh, do you know what? Look at him. They can't even pull themselves together. They can't even get it right again. They're full of fear. They shouldn't be. No, graciously. There's a reflection from this mirror. If we will but look into it. That says fear not. I'm with you. I'm for you. Or today. Our heart could be heavy. Our emotions could be weighted down by the baggage of life. We look back on our past and we're continually reminded about our failure. And you're afraid to look into this word. You're afraid to look into this mirror. I know sometimes I've been afraid to look into it because of feeling bad or guilty or ashamed of what I've said or done. But no, this is the very place that I should look at first to get a right reflection. Heart may be heavy over things that have happened in the past. What's the reflection? What's the word to you then? Well, it could be this. There are many reflections that could come at you from the word of God. But let me give you this one. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. They are gone. They are over. Behold, all things have become new. Now that might be 
in complete contradiction to what you've gone through. It may be in complete contradiction to the way you look, the way you feel, the way the past presents itself to you. But I'm telling you now, take hold of this reflection. Hold it in your heart and believe it and say, Lord, in spite of my past, in spite of the guilt, in spite of the shame, in spite of the hellish circumstances and emotions that I feel, I believe in Christ Jesus. I am a new creature. All things, they've gone. They've got no power over me. I'm living for the future. I'm living for the new. I'm living for everything that you have for me and created me for. (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't be guilty. Don't be ashamed. Lift off. Let that burden go from you. Let it go. It doesn't belong in your life. You're his property. Hallelujah. Romans 8. Talking about guilt, talking about shame, talking about being heavy-hearted over the past. Hey, listen, let's get our eyes in the mirror. Romans 8, 33 to 34 says this. Who? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect, against the, the children that God has chose? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who has died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Why does Jesus make intercession for us? Because he knows very often that the charges that are are spoken against us, that we speak against ourselves and others rail at us. We find it hard to accept that in God's presence we are found faultless. In God's presence there is no charge that can be laid against us. We find it hard to accept it even though it's being reflected from the greatest of all mirrors. We find it hard and therefore Jesus, it says, is is interceding and praying every moment over your life. Oh, what a Savior we have. smell that chili. James, do you want to come up? Hallelujah. Chong's chilies, it's one of my favorites, to be honest. This spaghetti bolognese is good, but there's nothing like a good chili. This mirror, this mirror, this mirror speaks good things, wonderful things for our lives. God loves us so much, sees the trouble, sees the pain, sees the highs, sees the lows, sees the, the, the happy parties, the celebrations. And then he sees when everything's breaking apart and hitting the fan and where just life is just like one big explosion. You're trying to hold everything together, keep everything so complete like everybody else, and bam, it just breaks apart. Never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's so, so good. Listen, maybe it's time to take a look 
not in your natural mirror that we look in several times a day to check if the outer is okay. Maybe it's a time again to take a, a look again in the mirror of God's beautiful Word. You'll find reflections there that sometimes you, you, you think are unbelievable, but they're descriptions about you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're more than a conqueror. If God is for you, who can be against you? What are they? Reflections into your world from the mirror of God's Word about His belief in you, His confidence of you. And Paul, the apostle, makes a wonderful statement when he says, I'm going to forget about the past. I'm not going to allow that old mirror of reflection of past life to have any dominance in my present. I'm going forward. I'm pressing on to the mark. That's a man that understands the power of the mirror. A man that's completely founded and, and, and situated in God's promise for his life. That's reaching and straining for the upward call and the prize over his life. And that is relevant for every single one of us. Let's make a decision today to go from this place after our lovely chili. And say, hey Lord, I'm going to... I'm going to read this and open this mirror. Would you show the reflection that I need for my life? Do you know he will? Would you, would you show me the, the, the one line, the one word? Not a whole chapter maybe. One line, one word from your mouth that can help me make it through a day, a year. Help me resolve a situation and he will. 2 Corinthians, finally, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this. Paul now talking. James shows us a picture of God's word as being a mirror. It's a corrective picture. It's a picture that wants you to make adjustments. And Paul brings a different emphasis and a different picture in relation to this mirror of God's word. As we look into it, he says this, But we with all unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit, just, uh, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul talks about the glory of this mirror. As we look into it, we are changed, we are transformed. Not taken back, but taken forward and taken up from glory to glory. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're at the closing moment of our service today. And you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. You know, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not talking about your physical house. He's talking about the home and the house of your heart. John, Mary, Susan, Stephen, Andrew. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. If you hear my voice and open the door, he says, I'll come in. 
and I'll sit with you and I'll live with you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. He won't put a religious straitjacket off. He'll give you life for the first time. And today Jesus is but a prayer away. The moment that we call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, the mirror says, you shall be saved. Your husband can't pray this prayer for you. Your wife can't pray this prayer for you. Your friend that you may have come with can't pray this prayer for you. You've got to call on his name quietly and with wholehearted devotion and a miracle will take place. He'll come to live in your heart. Oh, the sky may not open. You know, there may not be a clap of thunder or a strike of lightning, or you may not hear angels blowing trumpets, but I'm telling you, for the first time, you'll have peace in your heart that you've been trying to find in all of the wrong places. Just like all of us, I'm going to pray. And if you want to ask Jesus, this is a very serious question. It's a question between life and death, between a lost eternity without God beyond this world, and an eternal life that Jesus died to secure for every one of us. Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, reaches, reaches out to us and says, if you will call on my name, whoever, he says, whoever calls on my name shall be saved. Again, it's a promise with a guarantee. Call, make the call. And I will save you. You will know my saving power at the core of your life. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Would we close our eyes for a moment in respect and reverence for those who are going to pray today? And I want to ask you to repeat these words after me quietly. You may want to say it out loud, but just in your heart, silently, is enough for him to hear. And to come in with his love and his peace and his life. I'm going to pray a simple prayer and you're going to pray it. Maybe for the first time right now. Say something like this. Jesus. I really don't know who you are. But somehow I sense in this moment you knocking on the door of my life, of my heart. I want to open the door now. I don't want to shut you out. You are the Prince of Peace. I want you to come into my heart. I ask you, please forgive me my sin. Wash me clean. I believe that you are alive. And I accept you as my Savior. Amen. Amen. Now, I know people would have prayed that this morning in the quietness of your own heart. You watch. You watch. A miracle has begun. A miracle has begun. You've humbled yourself to ask Jesus into your heart. 
He has said, if you call on my name, you will be saved. You're going to see. You're going to see and know his abiding presence in your heart and with you through the journey of life from this moment, from this moment forward. I guarantee it. I was 15 years of, old, 15 years of age in a field in mid Wales when a man said to me, Dave, take a look in the mirror. God loves you. Call out on the name of the Lord. Suddenly something happened. A miracle began. And 34 years on, he's never left me. Never left me. Never leave me. Never left me. I've left him, but he's never left me. Miracle. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you tell a person that brought you today, a friend you've come with? We'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to give you one of our stories books that you can take away. And we'd love to see you again. What we say to people that pray this heart-rending prayer to God. Listen, just keep coming back. Be part of the family. Or if you're not from this area, just find a good local church in your area to be a part of. We're going to stand to our feet. Father, I pray for your people. And I ask you, Lord... Holy Spirit, as we look in the mirror, we just thank you that you give us hope and strength and life. You correct us, of course. We need correction. But also, oh, the grace and the bountiful blessing that we find from this mirror as it reflects your glorious face. Lord, I pray for your people that as we look in your mirror, we would have a holy addiction a holy addiction and an awakening of the life of your word in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Why don't we give Jesus a big shout of praise as we sing. Come on, church. Let's give him praise in this place.